Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. So I had done it. I had literally walked the fuck away from this book and I wasn't looking back and I didn't feel badly about it and I wasn't worried about shit. And then I remembered you motherfuckers. Ratchet Book Club, Hood Classics, Good Classics, me, you, you're welcome. Like this is literally like we're I'm we're staying together for the I'm reading this book for the children. That's the reason why this marriage is still going on between me and the cartel is y'all motherfuckers. Because I am literally done. Like highest level of pissivity. And y'all better ooh. ooh. Goddamn. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com is the email address. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> leave a review on Podchaser. Cool thing about Podchaser is you can leave a review for each and every episode that I do. As well as the show overall, which is really dope. Uh, you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review on Stitcher. Whatever. I don't give a fuck. The... Look. Look. Fam, family, famo, famunition, like, goddamn, do they care anymore? Chapter 10. All with tears in their eyes, Mecca, Carter, and Zaire walked down the dirt path that led to their awaiting helicopter. If the helicopter was there to pick them up, why couldn't the helicopter be there to drop them the fuck off? I'm just saying, if they just climbed a mountain, ain't no mountain high enough to keep me away from you, Breeze. But there's literally a mountain high enough to keep us from getting there to you in time before you commit suicide. Literally. Like they could have flown up instead of taking two hours to go up that mountain, giving Breeze enough time to set up this whole idea of her being as strong as a diamond and then she takes her own life. They had just climbed down the mountain. Oh. So they had a quiet two hour morning walk like in the morning but also they were morning. You see what I did there? None of them saying anything to each other on their way down. Breeze's limp, lifeless body was in Zaire's arms as he carried her with strength, determined to hold her upright and comfortable, even though it was in vain. The town's patrons followed as they saw Zaire carrying the dead body. 
It looked as if a parade was going on, with Carter, Zaire, and Mecca leading the pack. Mecca held his gun out in the open as he walked in broad daylight, with onlookers looking at them in disbelief. With tears flowing, he promised himself that anyone he saw that resembled a Haitian would die in honor of his hatred of Mati. Nigga, you're in Haiti! The fuck are you going to do, man? You better put on some blinders. Mecca was at a point where he didn't give a fuck about human life anymore. He just got there. We're just getting to that point. He killed his own brother and shot his girlfriend. He killed somebody for, or I'm sorry, he tried to kill somebody for standing too close to his girl on a dance floor. He killed Fabian for not supervising Fabian when Fabian didn't kill uh, Mia Moore. Seriously? He was already ruthless, but he had crossed the line, graduating to psychotic. Like I said, these women are just here to be plot points for the men to either level up or level the fuck down. He just wanted someone to pay for all the grief the Matia and his Haitian mob had caused his family. It seemed as if every Haitian resembled Matia, and Mecca wanted vengeance. He saw a spectator with a head full of dreads on the side of the road, along with the crowd. Mecca was going all out in tribute to Breeze. He glanced at her body, and the sight of the red belt marks around her neck made him sick to his stomach. That sight was the most hurtful thing he had ever seen. More hurtful than when you shot your own brother and cradled him in your arms as he died? More hurtful than when you shot your girl which you said you love who you said you love more than anyone else in the world, Lena? More hurtful than when your poison plot failed and your mom died in your arms? Oh. He knew that Breeze loved herself too much to kill herself. To commit suicide, life had to be unbearable. This thought infuriated Mecca and pushed him to his boiling point. He looked back at the dread head and let him have it. Mecca pointed and fired, catching him in the chest. Although the man had no association with Mati and posed no harm, Mecca didn't care. He was borderline insane at that point. As the thunderous sound of the gunshot echoed through the air, people began to scream in horror and run for cover as Mecca looked for any other Haitians that even resembled Mati. The gunshots didn't bother Carter or Zaire. Usually they would try to tame Mecca, but this time they let his rage flow uninhibited. Neither of them even flinched as Mecca let off round after round, while never stopping his slow pace as they walked. Neither of them jumped in while he murdered a whole town? Oh, God. They knew that Mecca was creating therapy for himself in some sort of sick way. Who are they to tell him how to grieve? They were both heartbroken, and the only thing on their minds was getting Breeze back to the States for a proper burial. Zaire cried silently and kissed Breeze on the forehead while she was in his arms. I love you, he repeatedly whispered to her as he continued down the trail. Mecca continued to shoot calmly, with no expression on his face. People were yelling in terror and scattered like roaches as Mecca continued his therapy session. They reached the helicopter, and the driver was waiting, just as Carter had told him to. I can't do this anymore. Carter whispered to himself, referring to burying loved ones. 
It was as if a huge, healed wound was reopened when they saw Breed's body hanging from that belt. They had to suffer her death twice, and it was taking a toll on what was left of the cartel. They entered the helicopter, and the pilot carried them back to the States. The chopper ride remained silent and painful, as tears fell down all their cheeks. Carter, Mecca, and Zaire stood over the hole in the graveyard. Two of the graveyard's workers began to dump dirt on the cherry oak casket that contained Breeze's body. Breeze's headstone was next to the rest of the Diamond family. Mecca looked at all the tombstones and noticed that he was the last one left alive with the Diamond bloodline, besides Carter. Zaire stared as the dirt getting dumped on top of the casket and the flowers that he laid on top of it slowly disappeared with each scoop. Nothing was said. Each of them was entertaining their own thoughts and grieving within themselves. They all had stone-cold stares with heavy hearts. They were all cried out, and at that moment, they knew that the cartel was over. All of the heartache and anguish wasn't worth it. I'm done, Mecca said as he stared at the hole in the ground. Me too. Me too, Carter whispered as he threw his arm around his brother. This game is so cold. It wasn't supposed to be like this. We are supposed to pop champagne and live the life, but not this. The game has no loyalty, Zaire added as he fought back a single tear for Breeze. A single tear. Carter began to think about Mia Moore and how he had left her there alone for the past couple days when they had gone to Haiti. And then took care of Breeze's burial. He was fed up and ready to move on and start a life with Mia Moore. He looked over at Zaire, the only real nigga he had besides Mecca. He didn't want Zaire to fall victim to the game, and promised himself at that moment that he would not let Zaire fall into the pitfalls of this game. They stayed there for hours and mourned her death before they headed back to the Diamond Residence. Carter knew he would have to start making plans for his exit out of the drug game. Carter pulled into the Diamond Estate, and the gates were opened by one of his many henchmen that he had guarding the house. Carter gave him a nod and pulled up the long, curvy driveway. He had just dropped Zaire off at his condo, and Mecca decided to stay over at Zaire's. Mecca was acting strange in Carter's eyes. Carter chalked Mecca's awkwardness up to him mourning his sister's suicide. But little did Carter know... Mecca wanted to stay away from Mia more because he knew that he would eventually kill her if he stayed under the same roof as her. Mecca wanted to wait until she awoke from her coma before he killed her. Mmm, 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 mmm. I've seen Kill Bill. I've seen Kill Bill Part 1 and Part 2. You better kill that motherfucker now. You better walk in the house while she's in a coma and smother her. You ain't got to worry about nobody else seeing you. Just smother her. You should have done it while Carter was out of town. But since you can't do that now, smother her like some chicken, like some steak, like some onions. Double cover and smother her. Put two pillows on her head. But you better smother her before she wake up. Because when she come to, nigga you through. He wanted Mia Moore to see his odds as he sent her to her maker. He was determined to finish the job Fabian had failed to do. Carter got out of his car and entered the house. When he walked in, 
His henchmen were on the couch, playing a video game. They were so busy ranting and raving that they didn't notice him come in. What the fuck is going on here? He said loudly, startling all five of the henchmen. They quickly jumped up, sensing the hostility in Carter's voice. We were just... The henchman said, just before Carter threw up his hand, dismissing whatever he had to say. He began to walk over to the crowd of men with both hands behind his back. His body gestures didn't display anger, but the veins that were forming in his neck and forehead were a sure giveaway. Who's watching me and more? He asked calmly as he looked each of them in their face. Carter, it wasn't... One of the men said, trying to explain why they were on the east wing and no one was guarding the front door or Mia Moore's room as Carter had ordered. Carter grabbed the man and pulled out his own gun, putting it in the man's mouth. Open up, nigga, Carter yelled as he harshly rubbed the barrel of the gun on the man's lips. I thought they said he put it in the man's mouth already, so why is he opening up the guns already? You know what? The man opened his mouth like a fucking dummy and put both of his hands up, not believing what was happening. The other henchmen just looked on in fear. They had never seen Carter lose his composure whatsoever, so to see him so irate was terrifying. I pay you niggas good to watch and protect my fortress, and look what you do. You niggas don't know how to make money. The only thing you have to do is stay on your post. I don't pay you niggas to stand around and play games. What the fuck? Anyone could have come in here and hurt my lady, Carter yelled as he thought about how he could have crept past him without anyone knowing. Who was supposed to be at the door? He asked as he continued to grip the man by his collar. He glanced around looking for an answer, but no one said anything. Who? He asked again as he dug the gun deeper in the man's mouth. When I ask my kids something and they know they're going to get in trouble when they were younger. Not so much now. Now it's a running joke in the family because they did it their whole goddamn lives. But when I would ask them something they knew they'd get in trouble if they told me the truth, they'd be like Casper did it. Casper the friendly fucking ghost. That's who they blamed it on. I don't even remember them even seeing a a Casper movie. I don't remember them seeing a Casper cartoon. I don't know how they know that little white motherfucker. He don't hang out with me, but somehow Casper became a family member. And now it's to the point where when I ask him who the fuck ate all my Honey Nut Cheerios, who the fuck ate all my Otter Pops, who the fuck ate all my cheese, it was Casper, wasn't it? Casper did it, huh? Y'all gonna say Casper and they look at me like, no. I don't know who did it, though. Like, nigga, y'all should have just said Casper. The man he was holding raised his hand. Aw, shit. The man he was holding raised his hand, unable to talk because the gun was in his mouth. Carter found out all that he needed. He pulled the trigger, rocking him to sleep. Y'all gonna find another way to say murder in him, because, you know, I I just want to say rock-a-bye, baby, every time you say rocking him to sleep. Blood and noodles shot out the back of the man's head, and Carter released his grip, letting his body fall to the floor. He didn't even look at him fall. He just turned around and headed to check on Mia Moore. Clean that shit up, he yelled as he put his smoking gun on his hip. He had to send a message that he wasn't playing, and that's exactly what he did. Maybe if so much wasn't going on, he wouldn't have gone that far. He wasn't the one for making regrets, so he whispered, don't fucking play with me, to himself, as he climbed the stairs to get to Mia Moore. When Carter walked in the room, he saw the nurse he had hired sitting next to Mia Moore, half asleep. 
She was an older black woman who seemed to be in her early 50s. He had hired her from a healthcare service just before he went to Haiti. Carter walked over to the nurse and placed his hand on her shoulder. Hello, Miss Smith. You can leave now, he said as he greeted her with a smile and pulled out a wad of cash. You're telling me that she, who was half sleep, not 100% sleep, but half sleep, didn't hear you yelling at these niggas downstairs that they didn't watch me and more. You're telling me that she didn't hear you take this nigga's top off? It ain't like it was outdoors where there's no acoustics. You're inside of a mansion where acoustics are fucking wonderful and you blew his lid off. She playing sleep. She's scared as shit. She about to tell on you. She smiled back and got up to retrieve her things. Carter looked at Mia Moore, who was still in a comatose state. She never looked more beautiful in Carter's eyes. He bent over and kissed her on the head. Hey, baby, he said as he smiled. The nurse headed out of the door, and Carter remembered what he had just done downstairs. So he told her to exit out of the West Wing's door. He didn't want her to see the gory scene that was downstairs by the main door. She nodded her head in agreement and exited the room, leaving him alone in the room with Mia Moore. Also, if he put the gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger and blew the nigga's top back, the, the bullet went through. So it's lodged somewhere in his house. If I'm the mother henchman, I quit. I'm just going to walk out the door and I'm taking the nigga's PlayStation with me. Carter sat at the edge of the bed and placed his hand on top of Mia Moore's. He would give anything for her to just open her eyes. He would pay for her to tell him that she loved him. He still didn't know who could do such a heinous act to such a beautiful girl. But when he found out who had done it, he would make them pay. Never in his wildest dreams could he have guessed that her injuries were at the hands of his own flesh and blood, Mecca. Technically not his own flesh and blood. I mean, yeah, half-brothers. Yeah, okay, 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 I'm sorry, yeah. Carter was exhausted, and he was ready to go to sleep. He pulled up a chair so he could fall asleep right next to me and more, hoping that she would awaken. He grabbed a small blanket from the foot of the bed and positioned himself comfortably. He prepared to call it a night and close his eyes. So much had been going on over the past week, and it had him drained. He said a quick prayer for his sister, Breeze, and whispered, I love you. Out of nowhere, Mia Moore, with a cracked and low voice, whispered, I love you too, as she opened her eyes and let out a small grunt. Carter quickly jumped up and looked into her eyes. He smiled. It looks so good to see her eyes after so long. Oh my God, baby, you're up. I'm, I'm here. I got you, he said as he bent down and kissed her repeatedly on the forehead. Mia Moore was so weak that she could barely keep her eyes open. They were so heavy that it felt like someone was pulling her eyelids down. She tried to move, but her body wasn't responding. It took all of her energy to whisper those three little words. I love you. But those words were music to Carter's ears. He was so grateful, so happy. I thought I lost you, Mia Moore. I would have waited forever for you to wake up, Carter said as he felt his hand shaking. His nerves were getting the best of him because he was overwhelmed by joy. His queen was back. Chapter 11 
back to Mia Moore. So she's awake and she's conscious. Then how's she telling this story? I thought it was all a part of like her subconscious while she was in a coma. But is she going to be doing both things? Is she telling this story? Or are we just recapping? Like, I don't know. What are we going to do? Anissa asked as she paced back and forth and stared at murder's arrest on the TV. I don't know, I replied, clueless. The police had murder in handcuffs, and they confiscated the money he had on him, all the money he had to his name. His head hung low, and he tried to avoid the flash of the media cameras. My stomach was doing somersaults as I watched in disbelief, and my foot tapped anxiously against the floor. I was pissed at Anissa, but I would never tell her. If she hadn't gone off on her ridiculous tangent, then none of this would have ever happened. No words needed to be spoken to establish guilt. We were both there, we knew how it had gone down, and she knew that it was her fault. In a zombie-like state, I walked past her. I was still covered in blood and needed to take a shower. The eyes of the man that I had killed haunted me. I put the soiled clothing in a plastic bag and stepped under the hot stream of water. It was almost too hot to bear, but I needed it to cleanse myself. I was desperate for the shower to wash away the sins that I had committed that night. The blood ran down my body and turned pink as it swirled down the drain. Now, I know it's been a while since we talked about, you know, murder and Mia Moore and Anissa. But what she did was she was supposed to get rid of the body and also get rid of the gun. Because no gun, no body, no case, murder gets out. We know she got rid of the gun I don't know how she's getting rid of the body. And she doesn't have a car because she just sold it so then she could get rid of the gun. Why did this have to happen? I asked myself as my tears kicked in. I cried silently for all that I had lost. After everything that I had been through when I came out of lockup, my life finally felt normal. I felt like I found a family in murder and Anissa. But my disillusioned view of safety had come crashing down around me in the moment I pulled my second trigger. Two lives had gone extinct behind my actions. And although I would never regret killing Perry, my second murder was weighing heavily on my heart. It was then that I realized that I was not normal. I never had been. And after tonight, I never would be. Scrubbing my skin until it was raw, I washed my body until the water ran cold. I was grateful for the film of steam that covered the bathroom mirror. I wasn't ready to face myself. I didn't want to look into my eyes because I was sure that I wouldn't recognize a girl who stared back at me. Mia Moore, are you okay? Anissa called through the door. My hands shook as I picked up the plastic bag filled with my blood-soaked clothes and I opened the door to let her in. I'm fine, I answered. I need to take these clothes to the incinerator. She took my hand, reminding me of how she used to take care of me when we were little, then led me out of the apartment. We entered the room where the incinerator was, and I tossed the bag inside. Anissa rubbed my hair and put her arms around me while we both watched it burn. Everything's going to be okay, Mia Moore. We have to move on, and you have to forget that tonight ever happened, Anissa said. I looked at her with a blank expression. What about murder? Anissa didn't look at me. Instead, she stared into the fire. 
Murder knew the risks of the game he was playing. I knew one day something would go down and he wouldn't come home. Today is that day. I wanted to tell her that today would not have been that day if it hadn't been for her. But I had to take responsibility in the situation too, because I could have stopped it. We have to help him get out of this, niece, I protested. There is no getting out of this, Mia Moore. He got caught. I'm not going to risk you going away again. I can let him go, but I'll never forgive myself if I have to see them take you away again. Murder's gone. It is what it is, she said coldly. Murder ended up taking a plea. He got five to seven years on a weapons and tax evasion charge. They couldn't connect the body to him because I had disposed of the gun, so that case went unsolved. I wanted to visit Murder, but Anissa thought it was best if we cut our ties and start fresh. Living life without murder was easier said than done, however. Gone were the days of shopping sprees and lounging. Without him bringing in the paper, things got real tight for us. Anissa and I used up the money we had gotten for her car in a matter of a couple months. Rent, groceries, and bills ate that cash up quick. Murder's absence was felt almost immediately, because we realized all that he did for us, and now that he was gone. The ringing of the house phone was our only reminder that he was ever really there. Okay, so that's what's going to happen. They're going to start answering the phone to take his clients, and then they're going to call themselves the murder mamas in honor of murder and blah, blah, blah. Okay. We resorted to petty hustles, boosting clothes and petty credit card schemes just to get by. But still, at the end of the month, dollars were short, and we were on the verge of being thrown out on our asses. I'm not for being broke, Anissa stated seriously. You might have to sell your car, Mia Moore. I raised my eyebrows and looked at her like she was crazy. Bitch, I'm not selling my whip. I'll sell some ass before I get rid of my car, I said adamantly. You sold her car without any hesitation, though. For much less than it was worth. Anissa broke into laughter as the ringing of the phone interrupted our conversation, see? Well, we're going to have to think of something, because rent is due in a few days, she reminded me, the stress written all over her face. The phone stopped ringing, and we sat in silence as we each searched for resolutions to our problems. But it wasn't long before it started blaring again in our ears. Fuck! I can't even think for that motherfucker ringing all the damn time, Anissa shouted. Why don't they just stop calling? I know they saw murders arresting the papers and shit, I replied. Anissa shook her head. No one knew who murder really was. To the rest of the world, he's just another nigga lost to the system. I'm the only person who knew about what he did. To everyone else, he was just a voice on the phone. Well, ain't that convenient. How'd he collect his money? I asked curiously. They'd wire the money to a Cayman account. Half up front, half after the job is done. Murder didn't trust anyone, though. He always cleared the account after every job and stashed his dough in the safe. Ring, ring. Do you have access to the account? I asked curiously. I had access to all of Murder's money, whether he knew it or not. Anissa smirked. I shook my head and smirked. Yo, slick ass, I commented. Ring, ring. My mind was spinning, 
My pockets were on empty and I was in desperate need of a dollar. My sister and I were three days off of being put out in the street. Why don't we just answer it? I asked. What? Anissa said skeptically. She lowered her voice to a whisper as if we weren't in the apartment alone. Me and Moore, I told you what kind of business murder was into, Anissa said. But she stopped mid-sentence when she saw the look on my face. Me and Moore, what in the fuck are you thinking? She asked, reading my mind. I'm just saying, we need money. And there is cash money on the other end of that receiver. All we gotta do is pick it up. I said unsurely as I stood up and walked over to the phone. Ring, 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 ring. Anissa stared intensely at each other. We both knew that once I answered that line, there would be no turning back. She looked back at the table full of bills and ended up at me. She nodded her head and I lifted the phone to my ear. It was the day we accepted our first job and the day the murder mamas were born. Chapter 12 Benjamin Wilkes, a.k.a. Benny Doe, was our first hit. I could never forget his name because he was getting paper and being flashy was what he lived to do. All of Brooklyn knew who he was. A big-time party promoter in the city. He wasn't hard to find. We couldn't have asked for an easier mark. Like clockwork, on Sunday nights, he frequented Tenders, a local strip joint. It was baller's night, which attracted all the get-money niggas in the hood. Anissa and I came out shining that night, whipping my bins up to the club's valet as if we belonged amongst the hood's rich and infamous list. Rocking Gucci, Diamonds, and Prada, to the naked eye we fit right in with Brooklyn's elite. But we knew the deal. We were fronting and dead broke, but we were about to put in work. Legs greased, body right, and hair and makeup on point, we slid into the club. Weed smoke was in the air and liquor flowed freely as we found a booth in the corner of the room. The small burner I had perched from Murder's gun connect was underneath my dress, strapped to my inner thigh. We didn't have time to purchase another one, so we rolled with a single pistol, figuring that it would be all the muscle we would need to take care of the job. Benny Doe was in the VIP section, popping bottles as he and his entourage made the club rain. They were being entertained by three strippers, and even I had to admit that they were some bad bitches. They each looked like they had been ripped straight from the pages of King Magazine. Do y'all remember that motherfucking magazine? Woo! God damn. Okay, so here's what I need y'all to do. You know what? Nope, not going to do it. That was in the past. But it was better than Maxim. That's all I'm going to say. But it was in the past. They were the type of bitches that regular chicks loved to hate. And they had his full attention as they danced seductively in front of him. We might have some competition, Anissa whispered in my ear. I shook my head. We're not trying to juice a nigga's pocket. We're here for a completely different reason. He's drunk, and they're the perfect distraction. Let them do what they do, and we'll do what we do, I replied. Let's go to the bar. We can see better from over there. Anissa and I made our way through the darkened club. Our hips commanding the attention of the patrons. The two of us together gained more interest than some of the dancers, but we kept it pushing. It was our first job, and neither of us wanted to fuck it up. $50,000 was at stake, and we were about nothing but our paper that night. 
Can I get an apple martini? I asked the bartender. I never took a sip from the drink, but I held it for good measure. I didn't want to be the only person at the bar without a glass in my hand. I wanted to blend in while I discreetly watched every move that Benny made. I watched Anissa kill her drink, and I could see that she was nervous, but the liquid curd she had just consumed would be more than enough to get her through the night. We both prayed that everything went perfectly. We were a far cry from the season killer that murder was, but we were stepping into his shoes. I crossed my fingers and hoped that things played out right. I was so focused that I didn't even notice the dude that had slid into the seat next to me. He turned the swivel stool I was sitting in around so I was facing him. I frowned and was about to say something until he leaned into my ear. You and your girl about to rob that nigga or something? He asked. His question caught me completely off guard and my heartbeat began to speed up. Are we that obvious? I thought as I gave him the evil eye and started to leave. Dude grabbed my arm gently and pulled me near him. I respect your hustle, ma. It's sexy as long as I don't come into your crosshairs, know what I mean? His BK accent was strong, and his usher cologne invaded my space while his dark bedroom eyes scanned me from head to toe. I don't know what you're talking about, I responded shortly as I tilted my head to the side and looked up at him. He smiled. I didn't. Any other day, I might have listened to what he was kicking. The presidential on his wrist indicated that he was worth my time, but I wasn't there for all that. I really wish the nigga would be out of my space so I could refocus, but he wasn't moving. I looked over at Anissa, who was still on point. Benny Doe had never left her eyesight. I turned back around to the man in front of me. Did you want something? I asked him. What's your name? He asked. Nigga, what's your name? I countered. He laughed and rubbed the hairs of his full beard. Joel, he responded. I own this club. I clapped my hand sarcastically and said, Congratulations. That must impress a lot of women. I rolled my eyes, hoping that the nigga would take a hint and get lost. But again, he didn't. I just thought I'd tip your hand a little bit and let you know that all eyes are on you. You walk into my strip club looking good, smelling good. Got these niggas watching you more than they watch my dancers, but you got your eyes set on one nigga. He looks like a mark to me. Someone like you shouldn't have to rob and steal to eat, Miss Lady. You could be very well taken care of, he said. I'm not putting on no show, and I don't know nothing about all that you talking. We're just here for the entertainment, I replied without looking at him. My eyes found Benny Doe, and I noticed he was preparing to leave. He wasn't sloppy drunk, but I could tell that he was tipsy. I nudged Anissa and grabbed my clutch. It was nice to meet you, Joel. You have a good evening, I said with a curt smile. He leaned back against the bar and watched me walk away. I put an extra switch in my hips just to show him something he would never get and walked right past Benny Doe out of the club. You know, there's a rapper named Joel Ortiz that's from Brooklyn. I wonder if they took this name to honor him. It's a good question. Good rapper. As soon as Anissa and I claimed our car from valet parking, we changed clothes inside, removed our makeup, and put on jeans and sneakers. Arab scarves were tied around our necks. We waited patiently. And minutes later, 
Benny Doe came out of the club with the stripper chick and two other men following behind him. We were silent and breathing hard in anticipation as we followed him and his entourage to a cheap motel. They were two cars deep, so we made sure that we didn't tell them too closely. The last thing we needed was for them to get suspicious. There are six of them and two of us. You know all them niggas are strapped. How are we going to pull this off now? Anissa asked. We wait, I said. I wasn't exactly sure how we would pull it off either. We were outnumbered and outgunned, but we really didn't have a choice. We were already paid half up front. We had to come through on our end, so it was all or nothing. We watched the room for half an hour, and suddenly the door opened. One of the guys came out. Anissa went to get out of the car. What are you doing? I whispered harshly as she got out and waved the dude over. Hey, I'm sorry to bother you, she said as she walked towards the guy. Me and my girl are having some car trouble. It won't start. Can you help us, please? She asked. This was not a part of the plan, and butterflies fluttered in my stomach. What is she doing? Now this nigga done seen her face and everything, I thought heatedly. The nigga was a sucker for a pretty face, because he came right over without question and tapped the front of the car. Open the hood, he instructed. I did as I was told and then hit the release button for the trunk as well. I saw him lean over to check out the engine, so I grabbed the gun and got out of the car. Show me your hands, I said as I raised the gun to his head. Surprise swept over his face and he opened his mouth to speak. If you want to live to see tomorrow, then you'll shut the fuck up, I said calmly. The look on his face told me that he was fuming. Yeah, you fell for the okie doke I commented, further pissing him off. Anissa reached into his waistline and relieved him of his cell phone, the hotel room key, and a black forty-five. Thank you, she sang as she released the safety and cocked it back. With steel pressed to both sides of his head, the dude became much more humble. I got a daughter, man, he pleaded. I don't know what y'all bitches want, but you can have it. My money, my whip, whatever. Damn, they weren't thinking, because they could have went full DMX. I don't know what you bitches want from a nigga. What you want. Uh, what the bitches want from a nigga. We didn't respond, but we took that nigga for a walk to the back of the car. I lifted the trunk. We were moving in sync as if we had been doing this for years. She was a Thelma to my Louise. Get in, Anissa ordered. The dude reluctantly climbed in, and we closed the trunk. After making sure that he was locked inside, I turned to her with big eyes and whispered, What the fuck was that, niece? You gotta warn me before you make a play like that. The nigga saw her face and everything, I fussed. So? Well, Papa's ass so that he ain't telling nobody. She responded as she pulled the scarf over her face. I did the same. The only thing that could be seen was our hair and our eyes as we made our way to the door. I put my finger to my lips and then put my ear to the door. The sounds of music could be heard. The hills were alive. Anissa inserted the key slowly. And when the... Typo. And when the locked released... That's what they put, so I'm going to fix it. Anissa inserted the key slowly, and when the lock released, I rushed inside. Everybody on the floor. If I have to say it more than once, I'm going to leave you stinking in this bitch. I yelled as Anissa and I pointed our guns around the room. What the fuck? 
Do you bitches know who the fuck you fucking with? One of the guys asked. Boom. He fell dead where he stood. I was surprised that Anissa had shot him, but I didn't show it. I barely even flinched because I knew in order to stay in control, I'd have to keep my composure. Now, does anybody else have any more questions, I asked. Sit on your hands, I demanded. There's a nigga. One of the girls began to speak, but I smacked the shit out of her with the gun. Didn't I tell you to shut the fuck up? I asked. I could see the larceny in her eyes, but I didn't come there for her, so I kept it moving. We took the zip ties out of our pockets and began to bind everybody by their hands and feet. But before we could get to the last girl, a nigga came bursting out of the bathroom. He rushed me in, and at the exact same moment, Benny Doe tackled Anissa. See? Y'all slapping girls, and they trying to tell you there's a nigga in the bathroom. They know what's up. Rob that nigga, sis. They know what's going on. They're cool with it. Why? See? That's what you get. That's what you get. See? You shouldn't have done it. Boom, boom. I heard two gunshots go off and then heard Anissa groaning as I struggled against the dude as we both tried to get a good hold on the gun. He was using his weight as an advantage and had me pinned to the floor, but I was holding on to the gun for dear life. I couldn't get to the trigger. He smacked fire from my ass, causing the entire right side of my face to burn and stars to appear before my eyes. I knew it was over when I found myself looking down the barrel of the gun. Yeah, bitch, where's all that mouth now, he asked. I closed my eyes and prepared for the worst. I didn't want to see the bullets that ended my life. I inhaled deeply, gulping in the last bit of air that my lungs would ever taste. Boom, boom, boom. The gunshots deafened my ears. When I didn't feel any pain, I opened my eyes. I scrambled backward until my back hit the wall as I watched the dude fall to his knees as three bloodstains began to spread through the front of his shirt. I expected to see Anissa holding the smoking gun, but instead, one of the strippers just shot him. For real? This is how they meet Robin and Aries? Okay. Anissa! I yelled as I crawled over to her. Her neck was raw from being choked, and she was covered in blood. Anissa! Where are you hit? I asked as my hands roamed her body. She coughed and gulped in air. It's not mine, Mia Moore. I'm good. I helped her to her feet and retrieved our guns. The girl who had saved me was cutting the ties from her friend's hands. Thanks, I said as I looked in the eye. I had every intention of killing him when I came into the room, but after what she had done, I knew that I couldn't go through with it. I hope you bitches don't think y'all getting what was in their pockets. This is our lick in the first place. The girl I smacked spoke up. I tried to tell you ass there was a nigga in the bathroom, she said as she rubbed the side of her face and ice grilled me. Now you motherfuckers done fucked up our money. We won't be able to get back to the nigga's house to hit the safe. It was a hundred thousand in that bitch. One hundred thousand dollars? Anissa asked. Yeah, bitch, a hundred stacks, the girl shot back. If we can take you to the safe, we split the money five ways, Anissa said. Bitch, you killed everybody who knew the combo. Crazy ass bitches, the same girl yelled. Bitch, I ain't gonna be too many more of your bitches, I said seriously. Now can we discuss this somewhere else before the police come in here and arrest all of us? I took a pillowcase off the bed and tossed my gun inside. 
I then held it out for the three girls. I knew they were strapped, because the one who had helped me had pulled her gun from nowhere. We don't know y'all like that. As long as we talking about getting this money, ain't nobody carrying burners, I said. Each of the three girls put their guns inside, and then Anissa followed suit. They reluctantly followed us to our car. The guy in the trunk kicked and screamed when he heard us start the car. The three girls were in the back seat. The fuck type of shit is y'all into? Y'all got niggas in the trunk? One of them asked. I looked at them in the rear view, but didn't respond. We were all silent as we drove to a 24-hour diner, where we came to some type of agreement regarding the money in the safe. Anissa and I didn't say anything about what we had been paid to do. They didn't need to know all that. We just wanted our piece of their pie. Robin was the leader of their clique, it seemed, and also the one I had smacked. Beatrice was a dark-skinned, weave-wearing ghetto chick. I couldn't read the two of them very well at first, but I was instantly endeared to the third girl, Aries. She was the one who had saved my life that night. After getting to know one another, we led the girls back out to the deserted parking lot. It was the middle of the night, and there was no one around, so we popped the trunk. We all burst out laughing when we saw the dude curled up like a bitch. He was so scared that he would piss on himself. Damn, me can't believe me was actually going to give you some, Harry stated. We all pulled our guns back out of the pillowcase since a low level of trust had been established. Aries pointed her gun at the dude. Get you bitch ass out the trunk, she said. The dude climbed out and stared at the five of us standing around with pistols in our hands. You going to lead us to Benny Doe's house and you going to help us crack the safe, Aries instructed. The guy didn't respond, so Anissa cocked her gun, putting one in the chamber and pointed at him. Get in the car. Twenty minutes later, we were pulling up to a two-story suburban home. Who else lives here? I asked. Nobody, the dude responded wearily. I turned around to look him in the eye. I knew he was afraid. I could hear the fear in his voice. Remember that daughter you were talking about earlier? Don't be stupid. We just want the money, I explained. He nodded his head and then led us into the house. The guy reached under a flower pot and grabbed the spare key, then opened the door. He had five bitches with attitudes on his ass, so he knew not to make a bad move. He led the way up the stairs to one of the bedrooms, then removed the painting from the wall. What's the combo? Beatrice asked. I don't know the combination of that man's safe, the guy protested. I knew he was lying when he said it, so I shot him without hesitation. I was tired of playing games. Ah! He screamed in agony as he dropped to the floor and held on to his bleeding foot. If you want to keep the other one, start talking, I instructed. Ta, bitch, you really are crazy as hell, Beatrice laughed out in amusement as she watched the dude hold his foot and cry in excruciating pain. I'd fuck with her all day. That bitch ain't scared to do shit, she said, meaning it as a compliment. 34, 23, 10, he yelled. Fuck! His screams of pain echoed throughout the house. Anissa tried the numbers and smiled as she opened the safe. Oh shit, she exclaimed. This looks like more than a hundred thou. 
As soon as I saw the money stack sitting in the safe, I pulled the trigger on that nigga. He had seen my face, and there was no way I could send him home to his daughter in any other way except for in a box. To my surprise, he got hit with three more bullets as well, because as soon as I withdrew, so did Ares, Beatrice, and Robin. We filled in with lead, filled our pockets with paper, and disappeared into the night. We all headed back to my apartment, where we decided that we wouldn't spend any money until we heard what the streets would say about the murders. Since we didn't know one another, we all wanted to be in each other's presence to make sure nobody fucked up and got loose lips. Okay, so... This chapter is what I felt like the other chapter should have been. But they... Oh no, they just got this thing about killing off people. Beatrice is going to die. We know that because, well, she ain't in the murder mama, so something's going to happen to her. But I'm feeling this chapter like this was a cool little thing. All right, I'm back on the book. I'm okay. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Um... Leave a review on Podchaser. Leave a review for the episodes as well as the shows. Um, become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Help me buy books at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. Do y'all know I don't have any Patreon members? Like I'm asking y'all. Do y'all know if I have any Patreon members? I mean, I might. I might be lying to y'all. But I might not. So y'all should become Patreon members. Um, or just become members on buy me a coffee. That's a new lick. That's a new move. That's what's dope. But yeah, thank y'all so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Um, y'all be good. I'll holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.